It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live. Giving you the in-depth analysis on all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue, White, and Yellow with myself, Conor McGilligan, your multimedia producer and podcast producer. I'm joined today by Baron Cross, your Leeds United writer, and for the first time on the podcast, Sam Mead, the sports brand writer for The Mirror. And yeah, Joe Donahue's internet is still playing up, Baron, and we can excuse him this week, can't we? No, we can't. We need to give them pelters at every opportunity. Not good enough, Joe. Sort your life out. Poor, yeah. The last one, he, he dipped out on us, Sam, halfway through the episode with no explanation at all. So uh, we're, left, we're left hanging. Um, Sam, how are you doing, mate? Okay. Yeah, not bad. Obviously, international break isn't the funnest period of everyone's life, but, you know, we, we rumble through. We do, and uh, you need to sort of introduce yourself as, a, self as a Leeds fan, mate, because you know people are just wondering why we've got this sports brands writer on who's got nothing to do with Leeds United. I know, I know. What can I say? I mean, sort of like a Leeds United CV. First game was a uh, nineteen ninety nine at Highbury, lost two nil. Started in five, um, couldn't stand it, so I got given a bit of a break and went back uh, about two or three years later. So my first year going regularly at Leeds was oh two oh three. So. Basically, I saw everything after it was good. Um, so, <laughs> so, like, so to be fair, what, what we're going through now is, uh, is long overdue. So yeah, Terry Venables was the first Leeds manager I ever saw. Saw them relegated the year after, and then it's been a, a tough ride back. Um, I must admit, about three years ago when I heard we were getting the Elsa, I thought, this is, you know, that's just too good to be true. And to be honest, I'm still riding the wave. So long may it continue. Yeah, I say to, we were talking about this last week and and I think Barron's seen the good side of Leeds United. I mean, I, I had a season ticket for three years in League One. I mean, how bleak is that? I've never, ever had a season ticket since and League One were my days. So, so Barron, you've got you've got it good, mate. You've got it good at Leeds United. It's been timed well, hasn't it? We, we set the web, <laughs> I think the website got set up in late 2017. So I think it was sort of end of Christiansen and um, I came in just after Heckingbottom started. So... We had a few months of that, which were, again was more championship mid-table mediocrity. But then for, for Marcelo to come in, it's just been brilliant, hasn't it? And yeah, they feel very, very spoiled for those of you that have had to watch them through through the EFL for 16 years. Yeah, I feel even with Christensen, it was it was its way up though, wasn't it? You know, we had a, quite a nice start with Christensen. It was Lasoga and Saiz and, and at the start it was okay, but then obviously it turned off at the end. But So Sam, I want to get your initial thoughts on the window that's just happened with Leeds United. Obviously, we've seen the big name of Daniel James come in. We were speaking a little bit about it off air and you've, you've got some certain thoughts about that. And Helder Costa obviously leaving the club. But overall, mate, what did you think of the window? Do you know what, like, I mean, I think it was... We, I think we felt pretty confident about it, but I think the biggest thing was keeping hold of Bielsa. Like, obviously, he hadn't signed, but I think we were all pretty confident he would. Um, so I'd say that was the biggest deal. But it was a really difficult one because I sort of felt that there wasn't one area of the squad where you looked at and you thought, God, we really need to upgrade there. Like Everywhere was pretty solid. So it wasn't the easiest window to to manage if from, sort of like from Bielsa's point of view. Um, I mean... Whenever you get someone from Barcelona, you genuinely, you generally think we've done all right here. I mean, I know Barcelona, Barcelona aren't in the greatest place at the moment, but at the end of the day, for him to swap, 
you know, the new camp for Ellen Road is can only be a good thing for us. And I mean, for them to have been interested in him in the first place is a good thing. So I'll take that. And then obviously Dan James was the only other major one. And I've, I must admit, I am on the fence. I know sort of like back in, what was it, January 2019 when we nearly got him, I thought generally it was quite a good thing, but look, he, has, he hasn't made the grade at Man United. And that's no, that's no shame in him. There's no shame in not doing that. But I... For starters, I think it, I think it's overpriced, massively overpriced. Like, I get that's the window, um, but twenty five million, I feel like for a player who, you know, I mean, yeah, he's had he's done it in moments, but not properly done it. And I'm I must admit, I'm not convinced at all that he's a Bielsa player. I know a lot of people are saying he is, but he suited Man United because he he had a lot of pace and he played on the counter attack. But I mean, if Bielsa in an ideal world, Bielsa would you know we, we dominate possession and it's you know it's. It's short, tight passing, all that sort of stuff. And I thought, look at that. And, you know, he's played for a Swansea side who played his strengths and he's played for a Man United side who, you know, play on the counter. So everything's always worked for him. And I'm, you know, I think there's a lot of question marks between whether he'll actually work at Leeds, if I'm honest. And I also, if I'm honest, look at our options out wide, Harrison, Dallas, if he wants to play in there, and Rafinha. And I, I don't think he's better than them. So... Yeah, jury's out on that one, I've got to admit. Baron, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because everyone's been sort of really, really positive about the Dan James signing, especially on this podcast anyway. Yeah, tell us what you really think, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) I hope Dan James doesn't listen to this. Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I agree with you. I think his price initially caught me off guard because kind of... His his reputation hasn't really sort of blossomed, has it? You know, he was he was the Swansea player that nobody had heard of, um, and I think we were prepared to go along with it because Victor clearly saw something. And if if Marcelo likes a player, then we go with it, and, and we we trust in the process. And of course, it was going to be a loan deal, and it was going to be for less than ten million that following summer if they got promoted. So to then go from that to twenty five million after what feels like hasn't really pulled trees at Man United, has he? So there's not really been much there in the Premier League to kind of make you think this guy's a blockbuster who's going to change games at the top flight. So I I know what you mean, but yeah, I'd I'd probably go into that camp of it's the market. You know, it's not what anybody wants to hear, but you you look at Willock, you look at Danny Ings, you look at Buendia, you look at these prices players are going for, and it's just the going rate. And if if it's a player that Marcelo wants and a player that auto rates, then they've got to go and get him because there's very, very few players that Bielsa has been this passionate about. Uh, in the in the time that he's been at Ellen Road, so I, I, th- I think over time we would obviously all hope that it pays off. But I think whilst we can agree the price is quite high, you know, the, the pressure is now on Dan James. This isn't you know, he can't come in now and just sort of coast for a few months and sort of. I mean, I know Mel Bielsa is not going to play him straight away, but that that's proper money. You know, we're talking a fraction below the most expensive transfer in the club's history. And at twenty three, he's obviously got a five year deal. He's got a lot of time now to. You know, create a career for himself. You know, he's arguably going to want to become a Leeds legend of sorts if he if he can really play to that price tag across the next five years. So the pressure's on him, and as we've seen with Rodrigo in recent weeks and months, the pressure is there on these players with the price tag. James has got the advantage in that he's got a bit more time on his side, and Rodrigo at thirty really should be delivering right now immediately. So, it's, as with everything, time will tell. Um, but yeah, the price definitely puts pressure on him moving forward. Yeah, I think I think that's the big thing, isn't it, Sam? It's the fact that Bielsa's wanted him for so long now, and I think that's it's sort of 
is key, really, isn't it, in this signing? And, and, and I think that's going to be a huge, that's a huge thing for Leeds fans because I think Leeds fans are all sort of delving into that notion. Bielsa wants him, so, so we all want him as well. Yeah, and look, I mean, you know, in Bielsa we trust and, it, uh, you know, you'd never define, but it is a, it isn't unfair to say that, you know, Bielsa or whether it was Bielsa or the club, they really wanted a striker in the year we got promoted and they went and got Augustine and then he never played. So, you know, Bielsa doesn't get much wrong, but it's it's not like a foregone conclusion just because Bielsa wanted him. And I think Man United did play on that a little bit. They knew there was clear interest from Leeds there and it was, you know, it was deadline day. It was, this is how much it is, do you want him? Um, so I think the club was sort of backed into the corner a little bit and that we hadn't spent a lot, had we? So at the end of the day, the money was there. So I get why they've done it, but there is certainly pressure on him now. And it's all, but it's like, you know, 25 million and it's like, you know, there's no guarantee he actually even starts, especially if, you know, I mean, Bielsa will take a while to ease him in, which is the right thing to do. But in the same sense, I think, you know, he's got, uh, I think he's got to hit the ground running pretty swiftly because if not, I think, you know, the, the doubts could start surfacing pretty quickly myself. Yeah, I guess the um, the the Helder Costa loan to Valencia is that as well. If that does become permanent and Leeds are maybe able to recoup, you know, or sell him on for you know seven to ten million, and then the Dan James signing, if he has a half decent signing uh, season, looks like someone who we could have got for sort of ten to fifteen million quid. Doesn't all look that bad, does it? Yeah, I mean. At the end of the day, that's what it's about, isn't it? You know, as long as they sort of make the money back and all that sort of stuff, it, it, it will it will pay itself off. And at the end of the day, like, you know, I don't think anyone thinks Leeds will go down. <laughs> at the end, I know that people will say second season syndrome, but, you know, if, if Dan James contributes to us being in the Premier League for another year, you know, he'll have paid for himself. So in that sense, it, it's no it's no big deal. And like you say, if they can make the money work, then I think there won't be, you know, there won't be too many tears shed. And look, I hope it, I hope it works out massively. Part of me thinks that, you know, when we're playing like sort of top six sides and we are under the cost a little bit, you know, there'll probably be days where I'm there like, oh, thank God we've got Dan James because it's just, a, it's just, a, it's a great outlet. But against sort of the other 13, 12 teams in the league where we will look to dominate the ball, I think he's definitely got, I think he's got huge improvement to, to make there before he can sort of mix it with like, you know, you look at how, you know, I, I personally, and this is a different conversation, but if you were to say, you know, the most improved player since at least since Bielsa arrived, I'd say Harrison and Dallas are right up there. When I used to watch them, I never thought they could play sort of tight, intricate football. But, you know, I suppose three years of Merville at Thor Parch does that to you. So I'm sure that, you know, James could easily pick it up. But I think it is important that he does sooner rather than later. Baron, you absolutely love international football, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I get for in the mornings. People look forward to the season. I look forward to the international breaks. This is like <laughs> this is like the real football for me. It's lovely. <laughs> so we we obviously came into the period and England had Hungary and um, Andorra. Calvin Phillips, Patrick Bamford, uh, Sam. How did you feel about those two being called up? It was it was sort of symbolic. Me and Baron were talking about it last week. It's sort of symbolic from where Leeds were and where we are now, isn't it? The fact that four or five years ago, you'll know you would never have expected a Leeds United player to be in the Premier League, but to be in the England squad is it was is quite a mesmeric thought and would have been a mesmeric thought back then. I mean, were you just filled with pride? <laughs> oh yeah, honestly, when I see Calvin Phillips doing his thing, honestly, my heart. Um, it is it is pretty special. I mean, when you consider since I started watching football in 2002, the only Leeds player I've ever seen play for England was Alan Smith. 
Um, so it uh, it wasn't a usual feeling. I'll say that for sure. Calvin Phillips has absolutely deserved. Like he is, he re- he honestly could play probably for any team in the league. Like he's that good. Um, and we're lucky that he's you know he's come through the system. And I don't think there's any great desire from him to leave. If, if we'd have snapped him up as a sort of a, a foreigner in his late teens, he wouldn't have that connection to the club. I think quite easily now he could have knocked on the door and gone, yeah, I, I want to move it on mm. now. But I think because he's a Leeds boy, he's come through the system, I don't think there's any danger of that. I think he absolutely loves the fact that he is, you know, the Yorkshire Pierlo. I think, you know, he, he feeds off that and he will play for England for the next 10 years, like easily. Like, if I'm honest, like Bellingham might have a little say, but I think him and Rice at the base of that midfield, you can you can hammer them in for the next decade. Like, they're absolutely class. Bamford was like, look, he definitely deserved a shot. Um, I'm a massive fan, but I do think when people say to me, you know, he gets a lot of grief from 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 rival fans, um, and you know, it's a lot of it harsh. Um, but I think we can't look past the fact that he is so perfectly suited for Bielsa's leads, like perfect. Like you know, I'd be the first to admit if he went and signed for you know a Southampton or a Villa, like, I don't think he'd look as good anywhere near as good. Um, so I think. He perfectly suits what we're trying to do. And I think players like that are always difficult to ease into international setups because, you know, you see a player do something week in, week out, and you go, oh, they're brilliant. And it's they're like, yeah, they're brilliant in that system doing a certain job. And if you pull them out into a different system and ask them to do a different job, you know, it's not, it's natural. They might not look as good. Um, so I think there was always that danger. And I think, look, Harry Kane is England's number nine. And after that, it's just who do you think comes after him? Um, and whether it's, you know, actual pace from the wide, but, you know, if you look at central centre forwards, whether it's Watkins, Ings, Calvert-Lewin, they've all had a shot. You know, if you had to be honest, Calvert-Lewin probably is second behind Kane. Um, but, you know, like Bamford deserved just as much of a shot as as like an Ings or, or, a, or a Watkins did. I think his only frustration will be that he didn't get on the score sheet. Because if you look at like Watkins got his call up uh, last year, didn't he? Scored, I think, against San Marino. Calvert-Lewin's got his call up, scored. I think he would have liked a goal. I mean, he's a striker at the end of the day, so who who wouldn't? And, you know, I think, would I be surprised if he wasn't called up for the next England squad? No, not really. Um, just because I don't think, I think Gareth is quite, you know, that sort of like third, fourth striker. I think Gareth is quite happy to keep rotating that. Um, so I think a goal would have done wonders for him. So it was a little bit of shame he didn't get that, but to see him walk out for England, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's been a sort of special period, definitely. Um, I agree with you, Sam. It's it, it was a shame that he didn't get the goal, but you know, it seems like when Southgate's put his faith into certain players, he continues with them, doesn't he? So, I mean, Phillips is the classic example of that. Thought against Hungary, Beren, he was. Uh, I don't know if you caught the game, but he was. Phillips was just unbelievable. Him and Declan Rice together, and obviously there was some unsavoury scenes out there, but I thought they responded in pretty emphatic fashion to be honest and Calvin was just I think about out on our Twitter page there was a video of him just smashing into one of their players and I think I just I just captioned it Calvin smash it was just a classic unbelievable tackle but so David Batty-esque that I just had to stick it up there was it the tackle that was down the right channel? He sort of came across that yeah. vision and just, just caught him and, and the timing of it was just perfect. Out of nowhere, just smashed yeah. as well. Got the ball yeah. and the player, brilliant. Old school. Yeah, I, thoroughly, I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was probably one of the highlights of the game, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, we're in danger of sort of taking it for granted, aren't we, Phillips? He's become such a fixture in that team and has been so successful and we've, we've enjoyed watching him so much that we're sort of 
it's become the norm, hasn't it? Just to see him playing for England and just running games and being one of the first names on the team sheet. And we shouldn't really. We should, we should always sort of try to celebrate the fact that he has where he's come from. You know, he was a very generic box-to-box midfielder in the Championship before Bielsa. And now I look at him and, and where, he at, where he's at in world football and he's got all the other England players sort of clamouring to include him on their Instagram stories. It's, it's <laughs> quite strange the way his status has exploded. Um, here at Bamford, I, I think like you say, Sam, it's, it's a really strange sort of situation Bamford's in because you know, he, he could put no feet wrong in this this little call-up, but you wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get called up in in October or in November's international break because of because of the way the squad is is made up and of how many people are missing this time around. And you'd think the likes of well, Calvert-Lewin, Rashford, um, Foden, there's a variety of attacking players, aren't there, that, that aren't in at the moment. I think Greenwood, so, Greenwood was the big one, wasn't he? Greenwood, yeah, really, given how well he started as well. Yeah, um, I think Southgate had a question on that and it, and it said that they're just trying to manage him a bit better and I think they don't want to maybe give him a bit too much too soon because of how young he is. Hmm. Um, but, you know, all, all Bamford can do is keep scoring in the Prem. You know, he did that last season. If he, he obviously got off the market turf more. If you can maybe get two or three more before the next international break, then there's not really much else he can do, is there? It's quite, it's quite a simple brief for players trying to get selected. Just play well for your clubs. Yeah, it's interesting what Sam was saying there about Bamford being specific for Leeds United and would he work in any other system when you're talking about South Southampton, when you're talking about Aston Villa. You can almost put that at the door of England, can't you? I mean, we saw against Andorra, it was, it was very sort of disjointed. There wasn't that much cohesion between the players. Obviously, there was Jude Bellingham, Saka, Bamford, it, 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 a lot of misfits and you can completely understand it. They've not played together a lot. But can he, can he do well? For England, if given time, do you think, Baron? Well, this is this is the great dilemma of international management, isn't it? The, the managers do not have the time they need to put together twenty to, to twenty five players to play in this cohesive unit. So you have to very much work on a first eleven, maybe a first fourteen or fifteen, where you really zero in on that on that group of players for every second that you have them. And unfortunately for Bamford, of course, this is the first call up. If he does get called up two, three, four times in a row then of course that cohesion is going to come and he's going to build that familiarity with how Southgate wants to play. But, uh, but I do agree, it is a very specific role in, in that side that, that, that you need to play. And it is, as we know with Leeds, it's very, very different. So, yeah, I think, I think with time, anybody can sort of um, fit into a system, but it is time that's the problem. And in reality, as Sam has said, Kane is, is forever going to get 80 90% of, of the match time in competitive games uh, against fairly decent opposition. Um, yeah, Bamford's 27 now, and we know Southgate does have a, a penchant for, for younger players, doesn't he? So mm. um, it, it's against him, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think he's, he seems very philosophical about the whole thing, doesn't he? You know, I think he was clearly delighted to get the call up. He's got that cap now. And I'm sure professionally he wants to build on that and, and, and become a big part of the England squad. But I'm sure he's realistic to know that he's got a massive fight on his hands to become a a long-term fixture in that in that unit. Yeah, he's got to get a goal, hasn't he, Sam, when you've got like David Nugent getting an England goal as well. I think, did he yeah. score against Andorra as well? This is really yeah. nostalgia. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I just think, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how he fits into that England side. But it, it was frustrating, Sam, wasn't it, watching it? Because he's making all the off-the-shoulder runs, exactly what he does with Leeds United. But 
what what you do see is Harry Kane dropping off a lot more, don't you, and trying to receive it in deeper yeah. positions. And and I felt that England are sort of uh, were sort of catered to that the other day, and they really struggled to find Bamford. And I put it out on Twitter as well. It was almost selfish from the central midfielders. Maybe a little bit of bias there, but a little bit selfish because they were really trying to prove themselves. And instead of maybe delivering the ball instantaneously, it was take it back and do a trick. And it was quite frustrating to watch, I thought. <laughs> yeah, it's, look, it's a difficult one. I think on international football, um, I mean, realistically, Leeds and England, like, could you have two teams who play different, more like, you know, more contrasting styles? Probably not. Um, and look, international football, it's it's a short window and it's like... It's like Baron was saying, you know, are you going to get the time? Like time is one thing you do not get in international football. Like, you know, international managers, in my opinion, aren't there to improve players. They get given players who are improved and, you know, given instructions at their club. And then they've got to try and somehow make that work in a very short space of time. So I think managers and players at international level will always be selfish. You know, like if you're Jude Bellingham, like you're not going to get your opportunity and go, oh, let me make sure I make make Pat look good. Like, you know, when you're sat there watching like Rice and Calvin on the bench, you're there, I've got an hour. And I think international football players will always have their own agendas. And look, you know, you look at the Euros and people always say, you know, it's about the squad mentality. It's a little bit different when you're together for like, you know, a month or so. Like you do, you are at major tournaments. When you get together for 10 days, like they are at the moment and they will next month, et cetera, et cetera. I think, you know, it's a case of just players have, have got their own agendas, like I said. And I don't think anyone's out there to help Pat and you know we play a pretty unique system so you know BL um Bamford works for Bielsa and I think we have to at the end of the day I'd much rather work for Bielsa than he work for Southgate so I, I'm not going to lose any sleep over the fact that you know he might not get selected again um it is great for him and it's great for the club and it's great for the confidence and you know it, you definitely feel that I, I get the sense that Calvin's really gone on to another level knowing that he's you know an England stalwart I think I've done wonders for his confidence but with the Bamford call-up, I think it's. I think sometimes managers use players, especially at international level, and they use them to make a point. And I think, like you say, like you know, there's a huge clamour for young players for Southgate, and that's why it was a surprise that Greenwood was left out. But I think you know him including Bamford, it's effectively a message that says if you grind and if you score goals at club level, you will get a chance. And I don't, you don't, don't get it wrong. I don't think Bamford's going to the World Cup next year, but it it it, it serves to make a point that if you get your head down and, and you do your stuff at club level, opportunities will, will arise. Do you know when Leeds last played Liverpool at Ellen Road with a full crowd in the Premier League, Sam? Yeah, because I was there. Go on then. Do you know what the score was? Yeah, we drew 2-2. Harry Kuehl scored on his return to uh, Ellen Road. Milan Barros scored for them as well. And for us, the Duke had definitely got one. I couldn't tell you got the other one. It was a Sunday at our, about a one o'clock kickoff. That's pretty impressive. 29th of February. I think we've got our work cut out here, Baron, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that was supposed to be like, you know, my impressive stat for the uh, podcast. But there you go. Sam's just absolutely gone me there. Yeah, um, anyway. Four as well. <laughs> There you go. Yeah, it was uh, the 29th of February, 2004. Leeds United 2, Liverpool 2. I packed out Ellen Road, 39,000 there. Obviously, before the, the hotels and the boxes and all this sort of stuff were were, were fluxed into Ellen Road. Um, Liverpool Natter, I've got down on the sheet. Immediate thoughts, Beren. Um, obviously, we'll touch on last season, the first game last season, 4-3. Uh, a, a brilliant game, which, which introduced... 
Leeds United to the Premier League, really. Um, Jurgen Klopp, remember him afterwards going, wow, or something like that. It was it was brilliant. You know, the champions of the champions, the champions of the championship is difficult to say. The champions of the Premier League going at it. Leeds gave a really good account of themselves. And obviously, back at Ellen Road, you know, 1-1, Leeds grew back into it again. And uh, yeah, I don't really know what to expect with this one, Baron. Is it is it just a write-off already or have Leeds got a really decent chance? Bielsa's towards you can never write things off can you I mean anything can happen given the way Leeds have started this is the sort of match they go and win by two or three goals isn't it and you just think oh, that's just the way it is isn't it um, without batting an eyelid but yeah Klopp's brilliant for quotes you know in a, in a job like ours where you thrive on people speaking with personality and charisma Klopp's always been brilliant for, for quotes on Leeds whether it be the the shirts that were left in their their changing room after um, after the uh, the ESL proposals, of course, the first match after that was Ellen Road, and that night was very very heated. You know, we were on the ground there. There was planes flying over, massive protests. Liverpool fans were turning up with their banners. Liverpool players being booed as they got off the bus. And um, Klopp, of course, very protective of his players, pleaded innocence. It was nothing to do with the players or, or the management. It was very much at the top of the club, and they felt a little bit victimised that night. And um, so we spoke well on that occasion for different reasons. But yes, even after the Chelsea game, uh, before the international break, he was speaking about Leeds in his post-match pitch side at Anfield. And even then he was talking about the levels that are going to be required by the Liverpool players for Ellen Road and, and how hard the Leeds players run. And I think it should be a, a really special occasion. It's the first of the, the so-called big six coming to Ellen Road with a full stadium in the Premier League for, for X number of years. And you would hope that Ellen Road is going to give them a suitable welcome and make it suitably hostile and hopefully give Leeds the advantage that we know they need. It's, it's been a tough start to the season. Um, I think we've, we've talked about Man United ad nauseum and, and the horror show that was. But for as bad as that was, Everton was quite encouraging, didn't win. But we know Everton are, are no mugs at this level. They've got a very, very competent team. And I think that there was a lot of fight and desire in that 2-2 draw. But unfortunately, as we now know, even with, with a bit of time to reflect on it, there were a couple of steps taken back at Burnley. Just didn't turn up at all that day for me. And they played Burnley's game. And if you play Burnley, Burnley's game, you're going to struggle. So we're all hoping that, that they can turn up and, and play as well as we know they can against Liverpool. And as last, last season's two games showed, if Leeds play to their capacity, they can they can draw if not beat Liverpool. Um, but you know, I think I'd say now, please don't overreact if they do lose to the fan base because you know I think we all know that on, on paper Liverpool are far far stronger, aren't they? Yeah, I'd yeah. I mean, I echo what you're saying. To be fair, I think you've probably got slightly more optimism than I have. Um, but I definitely think that um, you know this. this Look, there's reasons to be Look, we've got two points from three games. But I think if you actually look at it last year, we lost at Old Trafford in similar fashion last year. Lost to Everton at Ellen Road, and we've got a draw this year. And, you know, we won at Burnley last year, and, we, and we've got a draw this time. So if you'd have taken these three games last year, we had three points and we've got two. So it's not the worst start in the world. But I do, I think the longer we go along without getting the first one of the season, it will just, there'll be a bit of tension, a bit of anxiety will we'll raise. So we do need to get that one sooner rather than later. So obviously, in that sense, you'd rather not play Liverpool. But... You know, you have to remember when we played them last year, this was, this was Liverpool with Van Dijk. Because I know everyone likes to always remember, you know, sort of like 2021 as Liverpool minus Van Dijk. But we did actually score three times past them when they had the Dutchman at the back. And if I remember rightly, he actually made a bit of a blunder for Bamford's goal at Anfield, tried to like hook it behind him and uh, it didn't quite work. And I think that's where I remember that, you know, I think it was Harrison scored the uh, the equaliser, our first at Anfield that day, and then Bamford. And that was always getting in behind. And that's, in, in a way, I know I've you know not given him the, the biggest praise ever, but a game like 
Liverpool and they're like, yeah, just play Dan James because if you just turn Liverpool, you're not going to, you know, it's difficult to play through them. They're a very, very, got brilliant midfield, brilliant centre-halves. Um, so they are hard to play through. But if you can turn them, I think that's a really, really good way forward. So look, there's definitely opportunities. I think, you know, when we played them after on that Monday night, they took the lead, didn't they? Mane scored. And then I want to say Llorente got a header from a corner. Um, and, uh, you know, we gave as good as we got that night. Again, they'll be the first to tell you that was minus Van Dijk and we've scored a header from a corner and, you know, he probably clears it. But at the end of the day, you know, that last half an hour of that game, if we hadn't got a point that night, I'd have been fuming because we were peppering their goal. And, like, I see no reason why we can't do so again. And, you know, with the Ellen Road crowd behind us, like, that will be worth, an, you know, I, ironically, probably with the exception of Anfield, I reckon the um, having crowds back, is will influence Leeds the second most in the league after Liverpool. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I think that that drove us on in the Everton game massively. I agree with what Barron's saying. I mean, Leeds were okay, but uh, we started coming into it a little bit in the second half. But I think the crowd. I mean, I was there that day. Obviously, Barron was, and and it was it was a huge driver in getting Leeds over the line. And we weren't at it that day fully, but the crowd had a had a massive impact and hopefully it will uh, for the, for this game against Liverpool as well. But just in terms of general strengths of this Liverpool side, I'm trying to narrow it down, really. They seem to be <laughs> everywhere, don't they? Uh, Baron, but is, is it just as simple as Van Dijk, Mane, Salah? <laughs> well, even even players like Harley Elliott are turning aren't they? I mean, I, I watched the, the Chelsea game they had, and um, obviously Chelsea's red card aside, which did which did spoil the game a little bit. Liverpool looked really, really good. Um, Van Dijk is, is obviously not 100% yet, but he's only going to get better by the week, isn't he? Alisson, we've we've seen what Alisson can do in both boxes. Um, <laughs> Alexander-Arnold seems to have gone up another level. Um, I'm quite a keen fantasy football player, so I do have an eye on his stats and numbers and things, and it's absolutely frightening the stuff he's doing now and how far forward he is. And he's he's got this interplay that I think Southgate mentioned before the Andorra game with with Harvey Elliott, where they're switching positions, and, and Alexander-Arnold's almost becoming one of the third central midfielders on the side there and drifting inside and just causing absolute chaos with his deliveries. Um, Henderson, I think, you know, Henderson is quite a polarising footballer and there's quite a lot of people that would criticise him and quite a lot that would support him. Either way, he's, he's a very competent Premier League footballer and he's, and he's a battler, isn't he? Even if technically people don't rate him, I'd say his mental attributes are pretty impressive. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, the, the front three are well talked about. I think Firmino's got a bit of an injury doubt, so I think it, it would be Jota, but Jota has just been brilliant for Liverpool as well. Um yeah, I mean, on paper, it's frightening because you looked at the first game of last season, it was frightening, and you looked at the game at Ellen Road and Leeds had played well enough before the Ellen Road game to believe that they wouldn't get you know run over because they'd proven by then that they were a Premier League team. But you know, these matches aren't played on paper and any of those players can have bad games and they can leave space. And I think it will play to Leeds' advantage that they're playing against a side with a high defensive line at Ellen Road. Um that's maybe one of the, one of the things that is different from the first three games, and and hopefully he's can benefit from that, and it just become one of these dreaded basketball games that opposition managers always talk about, don't they? I remember Scott Parker was somebody that picked up on it, and uh, Kyle Walker mentioned it after the first City game at Ellen Road. This 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 term they use for Leeds games, and nobody wants it to happen, but if if it does happen, Leeds have got the legs to run up and down the pitch better than anybody. Um, so I think with Liverpool, it could become a game like that and, and hopefully that would suit Leeds and, and if anything, provide a spectacle. It's, it's fascinating what you said there, Sam, as well, because I was speaking to Dominic Booth, the MEN writer, last week and he said 
Dan James's best performances, like you've illustrated there, were against the top six and Leeds United. Um, and the rest of the other teams in the division just sit back and that's where he struggles. So against the Liverpool with a genius as meticulous as, as Marcelo Bielsa is, is there a chance that Daniel James will get a heavy period of feature time in this game? Uh if our manager wasn't Bielsa, I'd say yes, but I still think no. If I'm honest, like I think I don't. I think his, you know, his philosophy and leading the player in slowly and that sort of stuff will absolutely supersede. Oh, it's Liverpool, you know, from straight in. I mean, look, I wouldn't, wouldn't say, uh, I would be to be fair, I would be surprised if he started. I think he'll come off the bench for the last twenty minutes, which to be fair is probably when he can be the most effective. But like, I would like to see him from the start. But in the same sense, like Harrison and Rafinha, you would you would imagine. Um, would start on either flank. And I think, you know, that's where... It's ironic, like Baron says about Alexander-Arnold, like, I must admit, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a, of a Trent, Trent cynic, actually, um, in the sense that if he was if all he ever had to do was go forward, like, I put him in a world 11. But I think that if you look at Liverpool's defence, he's the one player that if I was the opposition manager, I'd be there, like, right, target him. Um, and, you know, he plays on the same side as Salah, doesn't he? And Salah's not coming back like Mane does. Um, so you've, you know, so he can be a little bit exposed. And I think if you can get at him with pace, you know, Harrison's goal at Anfield came, came down that side, sort of got, got the better of him before he cut inside. Um, so I think if we are going to get at them, it'll be, it'll be there, but I don't think it'll be Dan James doing it. Brilliant. Well, as the guest, Sam, I would like to ask you, um, and you're going to have to put your neck on the line here. What's your score prediction, mate? <sighs> Like I'd, I'd love another one all. I would take a one all. I think my heart says one all. My head says we might just get done two one. Two one. Right. Okay. Um, you're never coming on again. Um, <laughs> I think, I'm joking, Sam. I think we're, we're very realistic on this pod. Um, but yeah, we need to sort of start uh, designing sort of a league table for this, really. I need to start peppering something up on Excel. Um, Beren, score prediction. I'm not sure you got one right yet. Three three. Three, three. Another one wrong. <laughs> how realistic we are. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, well, Sam, thank you so much for joining us this week. I'm sure you'll be back on in, in weeks to come. We really appreciate it. Um, where can people find you on social media, mate? Uh, so my Twitter is at Sam J Mead, M-E-A-D-E. Um, yeah, give me a shout. I mean, I, I was saying I was saying off air, I do try and I'm a lot more opinionated on this podcast than I am on Twitter. I do try and, you know, keep things under control, but occasionally I come out with a slightly uh, divisive comment. So feel free to uh, feel free to hit back. Yeah, see where the game goes at the weekend and see what divisive comments come out. Um, Baron, thanks so much for joining, buddy. Thanks, Connor. Cheers, Sam. And I'm going to pass it over to Christopher Beasley now, the Liverpool Echo writer, to get an insight on our opponents this weekend. Last time we played each other, Chris, a uh, mm-hmm. bit of a two blockbuster games, really, two sort of different games, but basketball games in their own right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Obviously, the one the start of um, last season, maybe it was a, a sign of um, things to come, wasn't it, for, for Liverpool and that they'd be so dominant um, pre lockdown, and then obviously the the, the change with with um, the empty stadiums, then, and then Leeds United coming up, and uh, you know, a real breath of fresh air, the way that they. Uh, they approached the game and they gave Liverpool a lot of scares that, that night. Obviously, if the Liverpool came through eventually, but you know it, it was a real sort of um, sort of um, pointer of what to 
getting from both sides that, that season and also Premier League football in general um, in, in the empty stadium um, atmosphere or, or lack of? Yeah, and Klopp's, interestingly enough, he was very, very complimentary of of us sort of after both games, really. But there were, in the last game, there was a little bit of needle, wasn't there, Chris? Obviously, it was after yeah. the... The European six. Yeah. I think I think Leeds have put the t-shirts there in the in the uh, in the Liverpool dressing room, and it wasn't it wasn't well received. But even after the Chelsea game, I believe it was Klopp still saying, you know, we've got Leeds to play. That do yeah. do you understand the physical output? I mean, it seems like he's got a real respect for how we go about things. Yeah, I think um, obviously, like a lot of opposition managers, um, Bielsa commands a, a lot of respect. But just going back to that game, like you said, then uh, Jurgen Klopp was almost. Left out to dry by the owners uh, um, in the regards that you know that was was the prevailing sort of theme going into that game obviously and the, and the t-shirts as well and I mean I mean I see fair, fair enough Klopp was was dead against it and um, it was a bit of a difficult position for him to to, to be put in there um, with, with with the owners and the and the Super League and I, and I was all for what Leeds United did and the, the other clubs um, in that in that period but yeah the, um, I'm sure um, Bielsa the way. He approaches the game. Um, you've probably been having it for over a year now, where people have been saying, "Yeah, we're really admiring." What, what is he's different, isn't he? he he's not, he can spring a surprise, and you're not you don't always know what you're gonna get with him. And that, that I suppose, as, as an opposition manager, you keep the, keep them guessing. I mean, that that's a, that's an excellent um, thing to have in your arm. Yeah, definitely. And um, obviously, with the return of Virgil Van Dijk, there's been a little bit mm-hmm. of a, a spur for a lot of Liverpool fans there, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. With regards to the game, someone like him, how much of a difference is he going to make? Obviously, the first game round, it was yeah. 4-3 to you guys and, and mm. he was actually playing. But just throughout the season, there was a bit of a, uh, well, there was a huge change from Liverpool, wasn't there? Do you think he's going to make a, a massive difference this time around, just in terms of leadership and, and getting yeah. Liverpool right at the back, really? Yeah, well, there's a couple of um, elements to this, isn't there? There's what v- Virgil van Dijk brings himself and as a defensive colossus and as one of the world's, pr- you know, preeminent centre-backs, but there's also what he brings to that back five um, ar- around him. And you've seen that from the moment he came into the club. Obviously, it was a world record fee for a centre-back at the time. But just the way he organises that defence and brings the best um, out of others. So ha- not having that for the majority of last season, obviously, really hurt Liverpool. But then Joe Gomez picked up a long-term injury as well. Joel Matip as well. I mean, it was just totally ridiculous and the way that the injuries were focused on that one particular position um, throughout the season. We ended up signing a, a couple of centre-backs on, on deadline day. Obviously, one of them wasn't used. Um, Davis and the nose on Kabak played in. So, was youngsters came in and then there was Nat Phillips who came in, did very well and just in and out. And midfielders having to, um, to fill in as well. Henderson, Fabinho um, did a good job of then Henderson got injured as well. So, it was just totally ridiculous. But yeah, having him back in there now and having that solidity and that that understanding with the, the rest of the back four. Obviously, you got um, Robertson came back after a recent injury there at left back. You got Trent firing on all cylinders at, at right back. So you've got the, the first two choice full backs back in there, um, and obviously um, alongside in there, he's he, he's got um, Matip again. So Joe Gomez having to wait for his chance, and the the, the new um, signing uh, as well, uh, Ibrahima Konate. He's you know the, the one major signing this summer for Liverpool. He's having to wait. For his chance, but yeah, it's that established um, back five again in there with the goalkeeper, Alisson. And like I said, it's not just Van Dijk being world-class, it's just the way he, he sort of rubs off on those around him. Has there been a bit of a, obviously Liverpool 
towards the back end of last season were absolutely firing. I think it was either eight or nine games on the on the trot, yeah. wasn't it? They were absolutely fantastic. Is is it just been a carry on, really, Chris, into this season in terms of momentum? It has to be first. There's been changes of personnel, and then they they were stopped in their tracks by European champions Chelsea uh, last time out. Obviously, that was a one all draw, so that stopped uh, the, the winning sequence for them. But obviously, maintains the the unbeaten sequence. Yeah, they were the they were the in form side towards the end of last season and sort of approaching that sort of form that they'd shown the previous year with winning the, the Premier League title at Akanta. I mean, it looked ridiculous really, didn't it? Um, I think early March time, as low as eight, um, they were well out of it, but they just went that incredible run and then the belief just grew and grew. See the the, the, the rearranged game at Man United, uh, when that one obviously um, went because of the, the fan protests and in a way that might have actually helped um Liverpool United ended up having to play twice in 48 hours uh, and then well beaten by Liverpool then when when the goalkeeper scores. I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not a, a, not even one of those where it's a long pump upfield or um, I think um, previous Premier League goals from keepers in the, um, you know, where they sort of stabbed it in from close range when he scores with a header in the 95th minute. Well, they were always going to believe it was it was going to be their place and obviously ended up finishing third in the end. So they, they did it with a little bit to spare in the end. But yeah, they've kind of taken that on. There are changes in personnel. Um, young Harvey Elliott spent last season, most of last season on loan at Blackburn Rovers. He's come in, he's keeping Fabinho out the side at, at the moment, been a total revelation, just 18 years of age. So, yeah, there's been a few tweaks in there, but yeah, it has been a continuation of that that impressive form from the, the back end of last season. A Leeds a little bit of a weird team to come up against, Chris, because when you look at it on paper, you know, you'll see the Manchester United game at the start of the season, but then you'll also see you know, the results against Manchester City, beating them yeah, down yeah. there and, and getting a good result against them and getting good result against you boys as well. Um, obviously beating Spurs as well. A Leeds a bit of a, a tough team to sort of predict for a, for a top four side. I suppose, so. I suppose what you know you're going to get is you're going to get a battle, aren't you? You know you're going to get 100%. They're going to be high energy. And so if you know you're going to get that, you know it's always going to be tough. Yeah, well beaten by Manchester United and that must have really... Um, Stone leads off the and I know that the rivalry there, so that one obviously hurt. So, um, obviously, they, they get, I did see the game against Everton as well. And I, I mean, that was a real battle, a real a sort of throwback to the you know the games of yesteryear. Obviously, we've heard the, the our Premier League referees are supposed to be letting it flow a bit this season, but yeah, that was a real sort of um battle in, in many ways. So, you, you know, you're going to get well motivated and sort of determined, organised um, opposition, whether you catch them on a good day or a bad day, well, that can change, can't it? And the, that is the vagaries of, of form. But yeah, you, you know you're going to be in for it. And again, like you say, we've talked about already with that Ellen Road crowd. These are the sort of games that Leeds United fans, I know, are going to be relishing, aren't they? They're having the big boys in town and sort of um, going toe-to-toe with, with them again. It's been far too long. So yeah, we, we know exactly it's, 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 it's going to be passionate and it's going to be noisy and, and that's what we want. I think when I've, when we've played Liverpool, the, the the guy who stood out is is, is Mo Salah, and, and you'll hear this all the time, Chris. But I, I never realised. I always knew he was world class, but when mm. he played us on that on that first game of the season, the four three, I couldn't yeah. believe how ruthless he is, um, and that that really struck me. He was he was absolutely clinical. He was the best player on the pitch that day. But just in terms of generally, where do you think Liverpool can can hurt Leeds United this weekend? Yeah, you mentioned Salah. The thing about uh, Mo Salah is that you could actually have him quiet for 85, maybe 89 minutes and you think, oh, I've done a job on him there and he just, you know, just needs that 30-second sequence, that one 
um, moment. Nobody cuts inside in that famous left foot from from the right, and he, and and he's done. You so I suppose that's what makes him such a potent weapon. But I think also with with um, Liverpool, you've got always got to be wary of the, the supply line from the flanks. It's obviously that modern um, fullback phenomenon where you you know they're, they're just as dangerous in the opposition final third as they are at defending, perhaps in many ways, actually more accomplished at going forwards than, than going back. That's something you've always got to be wary of with Liverpool. Is that supply line and Trent Alexander-Arnold? And like I said, Robertson, he missed a couple of games um, earlier in the season, um, w- was injured and he, he's come back now. So uh, he's obviously going to be one of playing catch-up. I know it's a friendly rivalry between those two full-backs and uh, obviously uh, Trent's got... Um, is off the mark in terms of assists and um, having a contribution that final third. Uh, Robbo's going to want to have to chip in as well, and they you know they're sparing each other on. So yeah, not just the wide attacking flanks, and obviously you got Sadio Mane on the, the other flank as well. So it's not necessarily oh let's put two men on on um, Salah and we'll be okay. Obviously you got Mane on the other flank, but yeah, the two fullbacks as well. They're always dangerous. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you. I'm going to press you. I do this most week. <laughs> you know what I'm going to ask, don't you? What's your score prediction, mate? <laughs> Oh, I have to be getting in trouble here, won't I? Um, maybe um, a, a, a tough game, but I think I'll, I'll have to say 2-1 Liverpool. 2-1. Yeah, it's respectable in a way. It's, it's painful because it's a defeat, but still, it is, it's not. It's a respectable scoreline. Um, but yeah, Chris, obviously there's going to be some uh, Liverpool-Leeds preamble. So uh, where can people who are listening to this podcast find you, mate? Yeah, it's uh, at C. Beasley Echo. And um, obviously, Liverpool um, Echo website um there's going to be plenty of discussion isn't there going into that um fixture so if you want to have a look from the red side of things see what the opposition are up to there you go guys thank you so much for tuning in to the blue white and yellow podcast i hope you really enjoyed it this week there will be another episode out of course next week at the same time have a lovely week and we'll see you in a bit cheers <laughs>